All right, everybody, welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast, this time in our old-fashioned format where you could see <laughs> our pretty faces as we talk some hoops and we have fancy microphones and all of the things that we uh, uh, gave up for the last couple of months to do our, our spaces, which are still eventually, I think that that's going to be our bread and butter next year, I would imagine, um, yeah. as, we, as we go work through the season. Um, but it does keep us late up late at night. Uh, so during these non-Lakers games, I think it's nice for you and I to take a break and do some uh, some stuff more naturally in the middle of the day. Raj, how you doing, man? How was your trip to Vegas? Did you have fun? Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. That was my second trip to Vegas in like three weeks, I think. So that's I think that's enough Vegas for me for at least a month. Um, that's more than <laughs> enough uh, more than enough time living in hotels with casinos and smoke smell and all those all those oh, great yeah. things yeah, yeah how was uh your trip to mexico i think mexico's you, cool you there. hotter the hot as you can imagine everything's really cheap down there which is nice so it's a it's a fun place to take a cheap vacation um did you bet on any of the games while you were in uh in vegas i didn't know because like the last time i was in vegas i bet on the uh warriors memphis um playing game and i threw money on the warriors and i said oh, never no. again I said, never again. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, I'm no. not doing that again. Yeah, so uh, I'm good on that. I did a little bit of gambling over there, but uh, that was it. Um, and it couldn't be hotter than it was in Vegas, in Mexico. It was like 110 in Vegas. Oh, yeah. It, 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 I'm not. It, it, it's it, The humidity is what gets you down there. But the oh, thing yeah, with yeah. Vegas is at least you're inside most of the time. I mean, except when you're walking around on the strip. But anyway, yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and get started. So, guys, the game plan for today is we're going to talk about last night's game a little bit. Um, and then, uh, we had, Raj and I had talked about how the, the, one of the main conversations that surrounded Lakers Twitter over the last few weeks has been this concept of, you know, the, the guys that are already on the roster from last year, guys like Andre Drummond, guys like Dennis Schroeder, guys like Alex Caruso and so on. We picked five names, um, and we're going to do a little game of will they stay or will they go? And kind of give our thoughts as to why they might go one way or the other. Uh, And and we're not going to talk about potential guys to add to the roster, just whether or not those guys uh, will be coming back or not. Um, But let's talk about last night. So, you know, for the record, in the interest of full disclosure, I, I, uh, I bet that Phoenix would win against the spread. Mainly just because I have a couple of philosophies with the NBA Finals that I've noticed over the years veteran players older guys tend to play better uh Mm -hmm. in the finals and even though the Suns are a younger team their leader chris paul is an older player so i had a feeling he would play really well and i thought milwaukee was going to be a little shell-shocked by their defense just how good phoenix is defensively because phoenix is a much much better defensive team than atlanta and brooklyn um, I actually thought Milwaukee fared a little better offensively than I thought they would, although they still – I haven't looked at their defensive rating uh, or offensive rating, but I don't think they did uh, uh, terrifically. Um, but it was a lot of the usual stuff we see with the Bucks. A lot of uh, Budenholzer being stubborn with his coverages, a lot of kind of, kind of just tricking off a game through his stubborn you know, uh, philosophies. And, and I thought that uh, – uh, but at the end of the day, if there was a game to do that, it was game one because I thought Phoenix was going to get that one no matter what. Uh, what, what was your, ta- your like, kind of har- overarching you know, macro takeaway from that game? Yeah, so on all the like shows that I've kind of talked on and stuff, they were asking like, wh- who would you pick? And I picked Phoenix in this series, and I picked them also in game one. I think it's going to be a long series, but just the way Bunaholzer kind of – he reacts right. He doesn't. He doesn't punch first. He's similar to Vogel in that way. Um, kind of even more in an extreme. Um, he he just watched as Trey Young dropped forty eight in game one and just said we're gonna keep this going until until game two. And uh, we saw that tonight. I, I thought like switching Broke Lopez just so easily, just giving up that switch so easily um, was was gonna be their downfall in my opinion. Chris Paul. Um, Devin Booker got real comfortable early on. And later on, they, they eventually went small with Portis. But at that time, like, you know, when a basketball player, once you get comfortable, like, it's over. Chris Paul started hitting step-back threes, started hitting contested, super contested jumpers. Like, I just thought that the Suns would win tonight. And that's that's the thing that I was kind of worried with Budenholzer. I don't think you can go down to this Suns team. I think they're too well-coached. I think they're too good. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure they're the best team 
left. Obviously, that that can be debated, but just like the way they play, they they have a really high floor. Like they're not going to make mistakes. They're really good defensively in transition. Um, they threw eight on Giannis, which I thought they would do. I thought that was interesting. So I I like them overall in the series. I don't think this is a huge disaster for the Bucks, but like we talked about it with all our, the Lakers things, you can't give away games in the playoffs. And I feel like they gave this one. They didn't even give themselves a chance. You let Chris Paul do exactly what he wanted. He was comfortable. What's the point of having Drew Holiday if you just let Brooke Lopez switch every time? I just I don't understand the coverage there. So that was kind of my main my main takeaway from from uh, game one. Yeah, I'm I'm pro trying stuff to see mm-hmm. what happens, but I think everything should have a game plan. Like right. for instance, if you're the Lakers, yeah, you're going to default to going back to to Davis at the five, but you're going to try Drummond at the five. You're going to try Marcus all at the five because the idea is, hey, maybe we'll be able to physically bully them. The problem mm-hmm. with the Bucks is like you knew that if you did a drop coverage with Brooke Lopez like they did kind of in the second half last night, or if you did a switching coverage with Brooke Lopez, you would be inviting – Chris Paul and Devin Booker to get high quality shots. So the entire game plan from the beginning was doomed to fail. Uh, my, uh, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, if you're going to try something, at least have a, uh, uh, a semblance of an understanding of how it might work. And, and, and that's the thing. Like I, I have always been against the drop coverage against elite guards and in favor of switching. But if you're going to switch, you need to have players on the floor that can switch. And, both Booker and Chris Paul were getting whatever they wanted against Brooke Lopez in those switches. You're inviting them into a comfort zone. And then, you know, late in the fourth quarter, it's hard to say really whether or not it worked because at that point the Suns had gone into full game management mode, just try to run the shot clock, you know, all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, you need to run uh, 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 Giannis at the five if you're going to do that switching stuff. Portis was more physically aggressive, like – Portis was when in those switches would ball pressure more, but any good ball handler is going to inevitably get a, a big guy who's off balance reaching in. He's eventually going to get him off balance. And there was that textbook kind of sequence there in the third quarter where Chris Paul, you know, uh, uh, on a switch, super, you know, overzealous. Here comes Bobby Portis ball pressure and like crazy. And he just got him off balance and beat him to the basket for the finger roll. And then, you know, uh, he got he got Brooke Lopez on a step back three in, into a foul. And then so then they started trapping the pick and roll. And this is something you and I know from watching the Lakers. They're one of the few teams we've seen that can really trap pick and roll and cover on the back end really well. They uh, Chris Paul started picking them apart their late third quarter when they started trapping him on pick and roll. So it's like I think I think at the end of the day when you play someone like Brooke Lopez or or uh, uh, Bobby Portis against really really good guards, you're just asking for them to fail. And, and even in the Atlanta series, I think at, uh, Trey Young's foot has to be kind of factored in as part of the reason Brooke succeeded later in the later in the series. Was Trey wasn't really 100, percent but I, I I just as as a strategy, I feel like that's doomed against really good guards. Yeah, like that was my biggest key to the series because I thought eventually Brooke would get played off. Like he just, there's no way he's going to be able to contain. Chris Paul and Devin Booker are different than Trey Young. They'll snake a pick and roll. They don't just go into that floater. They have the mid range game. They'll attack you at the rim, get contact, stuff like that. That was my biggest key here. Can Portis and Connaughton play like as a small ball five? I thought they kind of picked on Britton Forbes as well. He's another guy that they really rely on um, in that small ball. And can they do that? This is not a hobbled Trey Young, a hobbled Bogdanovich. Um, I don't even know. Lou Williams, I guess, is the other is the other Atlanta guard. This is a different uh, kind of tier. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, are a level different level of guards um, than those three at, as they as they were injured. And also, campaign. I thought campaign really attacked the basket. He gets to the rim. His speed, He's so good. Uh, his oh, man, his speed is a problem. He's hitting his catch and shoot threes as well, which I feel like are just a cherry on the top. Those are just really issues for me for Milwaukee going into um, game going into game two i guess the positive for them is that is like Giannis at least looks like okay right he didn't look um he didn't look like he was 
favoring his his foot at all kind of uh in game one so i thought that was a positive for him for milwaukee but yeah man it's gonna be tough i feel like you just can't give games away and this is a team that's gonna be hard really to go back from um so what like so i guess if you're covering the suns like what would what would your coverage be i guess with this milwaukee roster would you just go completely small and kind of try to trap and give up threes to jay crowder and Mikel bridges because i feel like that's kind of your option there. Uh, I saw people saying you should hedge and kind of recover, but that kind of opens the role for Aiton, right? And I think Aiton also was like six for eight from the field or something like that. So I'm wondering, like, what 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 kind of poison would you pick? I guess if you're Milwaukee defending, or is it just play Giannis at the five and switch everything? I guess is is that your option? So similar to what you would see with the Lakers, where uh, we would always say that when the chips are down, you go to AD at the five. At the at the yeah. end of the day, the best coverage is to put Giannis at the five and switch everything. Because for the record, the switching worked in the sense that they the Suns lived in isolation most of the night. Uh, most of the action that they ran involved long drawn out isolations with their guards, which is a win in a lot of ways because it's stagnation. Yeah. Like that game looks different if Chris Paul doesn't have as good of a game. And for the record, Devin Booker wasn't exactly his most efficient self in that game. Uh, the trick is, is you can't do that all, all, all 48 minutes. So there are a couple right. things that I would do. First of all, I thought Devin Booker's isolations against Brooke Lopez were less successful than Chris Paul's. I thought Chris Paul did better in that matchup. I thought Booker took some tougher shots in that matchup. He had, he had a couple that he made, but I thought Lopez actually didn't hold his own, but he, he was more of, a, of a, an, an impediment to, to Booker in those matchups. So in the minutes where Booker is on the floor without Chris Paul, that's probably where I'd play a little bit more Lopez. You know, Bobby Portis, at the very least, if he's ball pressuring and forcing a drive, it's a little easier to react with on the on the defensive end because at least it's predictable. Like predictability is everything. If you if you can at least get to Bobby Portis and be like, hey, uh, ball pressure on these switches, force him to his left, then at least everything else on the back end with them rotate with their rotations are gonna are gonna be a little bit easier to 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 kind of like uh, everybody to kind of be connected and in the same in, on the same wavelength. You know, as far as a pick and roll coverage. I don't think any form of traditional hedge and hedge and recover makes any sense anymore. That I mean, the, you, you don't really even see much of that at all in the league no. these days. Uh, and one of the main reasons is like they're just setting the screen so far from the basket. If you've got a lumbering big hedging at 27 feet, he's effectively out of the play when he starts trying to run back. So at the end of the day, I, I would do I I would try to eventually learn how to do some kind of trap. Uh, and recover on the back end. It's a it, it's the most complicated and labor intensive defense. But if you can get it down, it can work. Especially if you've got the athleticism that they have, which the Bucks do have a good amount of of defensive athleticism. But at, at the end of the day, when the chips are down, it's going to come down to Giannis at the five and switching rather than doubling and just making them isolate and hoping that over the course of the series. Your bigger, more physical stars, Middleton 6'8", Giannis 6'9", you know, Drew Holiday, a big, strong guard. You just hope that over the course of the series, those guys will physically look better and, and that guys like Booker and Chris Paul will start to miss shots. I think you notice that a lot in the Phoenix Clippers series, that the, the physicality of the Clippers and the, the, as that series dragged on, Booker became kind of an inefficient scorer. And part of the reason, some people were saying the mask, yeah, don't get me wrong, the mask bothers him. But physicality does wear on teams. And so I, I think that that would be their, their, their long-term best benefit. What it, so uh, let's, let's switch to the other end with, with, with the Bucks on offense. So as I said before the game, I thought that the the Phoenix Suns were a significantly better defense than anybody the Bucks had faced. And for the record, I looked up the numbers. Uh, Milwaukee was at 116 points per 100 possessions in the regular season. They were mm-hmm. 104 last night, which is kind of what I expected. I typically speaking, elite offense, even the best offenses will struggle when they go up a level in terms of their defensive competition. Not because they're not capable of scoring, but it's just an adjustment period. Like every pass that you made that was open, all of a sudden is a little less open. There's a little bit more ball pressure. Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson, they're just bigger, more athletic wings than they've faced in these other rounds. And so from from that regard, I just think, I thought there was gonna be an adjustment period. Uh, What was your takeaway from Milwaukee offensively what do they need to do better 
uh, in order to kind of uh, uh, put up a little bit more than 104 points per 100 possessions. I think like Drew Holiday has to be better. And I feel like him and Middleton are so like feast or famine. It feels like from game to game, there's no like middle ground. It's either they play really well, or they play really poorly. And it's really tough to win that way. It's why these Milwaukee series, I feel like go so long. I feel like Giannis, you're getting kind of consistent numbers throughout. You're getting his 30, his 15. Uh, last night, I think he played like 36 minutes or something. But Drew, like his jumper is so up and down as well. And he loses confidence in it as well. Like he'll catch it and like pump fake, try to drive and he does these weird try to finish layups i feel like he's better in the post he should be like in the post a little bit more if they have chris paul on him and the middleton i thought played a really good game last night right he had like 29 points i think chris middleton kind of kept them in the game with his jumper but like i don't know how much you can rely on that that's kind of another reason why i kind of picked phoenix in this series i trust their offense as well a little bit more i just think drew and milton you're going to get what they get from them the shots aren't changing drew's going to get his catch and shoot threes it's rather he makes them he's going to have one or two good games in the series i think middleton had one already middleton again is a guy he'll have a good game and then he'll shoot like three for 11 the next night so it's it's really tough to know i think drew holiday was like two for eight um at halftime for like four points and that's just not enough they need his offense especially with no divincenzo they have like six to seven playable dudes um it's really tough brooke lopez i thought had a really good night scoring but to me, I tweeted out, I feel like his scoring is such fool's gold because it just keeps him on the floor exactly. and it keeps it keeps those cards in rhythm. So he was like said he had 17 points. He was their leading scorer, I think, in like the middle of the third quarter. And he was a minus 17. They're leading their worst plus minus, however you want to say that. Um, so I feel like that's where they kind of need their offense. They need Drew Holiday to have 18 to 20 points at least to keep them afloat. Um, it's just too it's just too tough when uh, they're really packing the paint on Giannis. Um, they're putting Aiden on him, and he got a couple where he just bullied him. He bullied Giannis right at the rim. I mean, he bullied Aiden right at the rim. Um, he got a few foul shots, but I thought their overall coverage was on him was good. He had a few turnaround jumpers as well. But yeah, I think it's mostly just. I mean, sometimes basketball it's kind of simplified in that way. But Drew Holiday has to kind of shoot better. What What did you see from Milwaukee on offense? So going down the line, Middleton reminds me a lot of Paul George in the sense that he gets his rhythm by taking jump shots, which is one of the main reasons why both of them have been uh, inconsistent in their playoff careers. They've had really good games and they've had really bad games. Um, One of the main reasons why Paul George had such a good uh, postseason this year was because he made a commitment to get to the basket more, which is something that's kind of missing from Chris Middleton's game. He has a tendency to actively seek out jump shots and then take driving lanes when they're there as opposed to actively attacking the basket and using your jump shot as a counter. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that'll, that'll be one of the big indicators of whether or not Paul George is kind of leveled up as if in the future he continues to, to, to kind of have that priority. Well, Middleton got hot in the second half, but the game was kind of already out of reach at that point, which is one of the downsides of building your rhythm by taking jump shots. If he gets his rhythm earlier in the game by being more aggressive to the basket, he's more likely to make more shots early in the game, keep the, keep them in the game. As far as Drew Holiday goes, like, We've always known the same thing about Drew Holiday. His value comes in what he brings defensively. In terms of offense, he's not even a top, you know, what, probably not a top 20 guard in the league. Like, he's just he's just not a very good offensive yeah. player. And one of the problems is, is really elite high-end defense exposes flaws in offensive games. And, you know, you know LeBron kind of tricks us in postseason history with his efficiency. And so does Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. The vast majority of offensive players take a dip in offensive efficiency in the postseason just because of the amount of, of physicality that's allowed and because of how good the defensive defenses are and because they have a tendency to ignore bad offensive players and devote more attention to you. So a guy like Drew Holiday against a really good defense like Phoenix is going to be exposed as a guy who's not a knockdown shooter, who doesn't have a great mid-range game, and who doesn't finish super well around the basket in traffic. That's just what's going to happen. Or or doesn't pass the ball super well or any of those any of those limitations in his game. He's very average at all of those things. And a really good Phoenix defense is going to put him in a, in a position where he's going to struggle. Like I don't know that you're going to hear a lot from Drew Holiday in this series to be honest. Yeah, and I feel like that's a problem for Milwaukee because they need his offense. Like, he doesn't have to be some crazy scorer, but he has to hit his open threes, in my opinion. He has to hit his open shots, or he has to at least have some kind of post game, some kind of 
put pressure on the rim. It, it can't just be Giannis putting pressure on the rim. You talked about it. Chris Milton does not put pressure on the rim. I thought he got a couple of drives where he thought he got fouled and all that stuff. Got some contact, didn't get the call. But but still, he's a guy, you're right, relies on his little mid-range game, relies on the step-back three. I think Drew Holiday relies on his jumper a little too much for like the level of shooter he is. Um, he takes a lot of, like, he'll be in transition and take like a transition three. And I just feel like that's not his game, but it's just supported in this kind of Milwaukee ecosystem of how everyone takes threes except Giannis. So I, I think they'll need his scoring, but you talk about his value being on defense. I mean, again, I just don't see the point of that when they're switching everything anyway. So then they can just get Drew off him whenever they want. And again, I feel like he should be going over the top, should be fighting, whatever, have put some kind of back pressure. But again, on offense, like I, it's going to be tough for them to kind of keep up. Can, Pan, can Pat Connaughton, can uh, Bryn Forbes have some kind of really good game? Um, I feel like their, their, their light is a little too green for me, like Pat Connaughton oh, yeah. and Bryn Forbes. Those dudes take terrible shots where they're not even close to open. They'll get hot from time to time. It's just like Milwaukee's on a huge run last night. I remember they cut it to seven. Bryn Forbes got it in transition, 20 seconds left on the shot clock, one dribble, one leg fade away. Hit hit almost the side of the backboard. I'm like, man, it's just there's no there's no offensive kind of rule here. And as Giannis as well cutting to the rim made it worse. So that's what I'm worried about with them on offense. I think they'll kind of figure it out. I think Giannis will play better, even more aggressively as the series goes on. Um, but that, I think that's where that's where Gian, that's where Milwaukee has to go. Their role not role players, but Drew Holiday and Chris Milton have to play better. Did you like what Phoenix did with Giannis, like putting Aiton on him, um, and then kind of swarming him with Jay Crowder, Mikel Bridges? And then kind of daring, I guess, Drew Holiday to beat them. I feel like they kind of left him open a little bit more. That's been the coverage that most teams have used against Giannis this year is put a center on him. Uh, yeah. uh, have the center kind of beat him to the spot, force him to spin back, and then send help from his weak side because he doesn't see the floor super well. Um, in general, I do like that. One of the ways that Milwaukee's countered that is like really clearing the side, kind of overloading the the weak side with shooters yeah. on the uh, – uh, where where – the, what works there is if you want to abandon a shooter, it's so like kind of unorthodox to go that far away from your matchup that it kind of throws defenses off. And they, they had a lot of success against Brooklyn, posting him up uh, uh, on that uh, you know left block and then overloading that side. And the, where at least if he spun back, there just wasn't as much help. Um, I think that's going to be their primary. Uh, uh, thing that they go to is Giannis kind of gets his legs back underneath him. I thought he was just kind of a little rusty to, uh, in general. Um, uh, really quickly, w- one of the things that you had mentioned a, a minute ago that I thought was interesting, you know, what's the point of having a guy with the defensive value of Drew Holiday if if you can just kind of switch him off using a screening action and now he's standing, you know, in a, in a shell drill elsewhere on the floor? Well, this is going to go into, you know, after the season's over, you and I are going to do a variety of podcasts. One of them will probably be some sort of player ranking type of deal. And, you know, similar to what, what I did last summer, like I've always said that, you know, super elite high end offense carries a great deal more value than super elite high end defense. Not to say that the defensive end isn't important because it is, but when it comes down to these types of games, that individual offensive talent brings more value because you can get a defender off the play. Like I'll never forget best example ever several years ago, James Harden, uh, 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 lit up the Spurs in game one of a playoff series because Kawhi was guarding his matchup, which was Ryan Anderson, and they just had Ryan Anderson stand 27 feet from the basket on the weak side like because he took so many deep threes, and Kawhi spent the entire game standing at the three-point line, and and they were able to kind of scheme him out. Now, over the course of the series, the Spurs figured him out, and they ended up winning, but that's kind of an example of what I'm talking about. At the end of the day, defense is much more of a five-on-five type of sport than than the offensive end is on the offensive end it's it's so much more about what an individual can do and I think that's what makes that difference and and guys like you know uh uh you know when you look at Chris Middleton you might think he does all the stuff Kobe does right like you think oh he does all these turnaround jump shots he's got all the off the dribble moves from the perimeter he's a tough shot maker he's a contested shot maker that's great but Kobe at the end of the day was a relentless rim attacker and everything was built off of that. And that is the difference for him. And that's what everyone always asks. Like, I see it on the timeline every time Middleton's going off. Is Middleton the best player on the Bucks? Is, is, is Middleton the alpha and, and you know, uh, uh, Giannis is the Robin. But then when he's playing bad, everyone's like, what's up with Middleton? I don't know. Why, why is he so inconsistent? It's literally that simple. 
He yeah. is a he is a jump shooter that when he's in rhythm, he looks like one of the best players in the world. And when he's not, he looks like a guy who's crumbling under the pressure. It, that that's literally all that that's the, the the that huge chasm between him and the top you know wings that we see in the league has to do with their their willingness to attack the rim yeah um, and i think that also that opens everything else up too right like when you drive yeah. to the rim you can become a playmaker you can get to the you can get to the line like he impacts the game pretty much one way and it's with his scoring right his jump shooting basically he doesn't get to the line doesn't doesn't play make for others so basically if you stop if he's not shooting well, he's not impacting the game. And I think that's what the difference between it. People were asking last night, um, how much better is Middleton than Devin Booker? Like, are they on the same tier kind of thing? And in my opinion, no. I think Devin Booker impacts the game a, a variety of ways. Even if his jump shot's not going, he's still getting to the line. His playmaking has gotten so much better. The way Phoenix relies on him is just so different than uh, just with his scoring. So I think I think that's, that's true. I, one really quick thing I wanted to say, because like, I feel like people think – like, I'm not saying you say this, but like most people think Giannis at the five just answers everything, right? And I feel like there are some downsides to it, especially when you have Aiden out there. I feel like it really hurts your offensive rebounding. Um, and they could really get, I thought Aiden got a bunch of offensive rebounds as well. And another thing, like, it's funny you compared him to AD. I feel like Milwaukee doesn't want him on like the other star kind of perimeter players. Like, you saw that they didn't want him on KD. I don't think he switched on Trey Young very much. They like him as the help defender. That's why I don't think they go to Giannis at the five as much. That's they what he's best at. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I feel like in this kind of series, you need him to be on Chris Paul, on Devin Booker. Like, I don't, I don't think you can win this series with Bobby Porters and, and Brooke Lopez defending these guards as much as they're going to. Like, I feel like you have to have Giannis at least to slow down whichever one is hot at times. But they love him as a help defender, and that's understandable. He's really great at that. But, uh, yeah, I just think, like, there are some weaknesses to going Giannis at the five. But I do agree with you that, that that's probably their best option here. One of the things that's tricky with that is I don't necessarily think Giannis is that great of an individual defender, especially against shifty guys. Like, you saw this yeah. a lot. In the Milwaukee series, and just in general, over the last few years, when Durant and uh, and uh, uh, Giannis would get matched up, he's susceptible to shiftiness and he's susceptible to speed. Um, that that's not to say that he's not a bad individual defender because he's not. His length and athleticism makes up a gap in in a lot of ways. But you know, you know, we all see, we all remember like the All Star game a few years back where he had some success as an individual defender against LeBron. Um, but part of the reason for that is LeBron at this age is he's never been that shifty of a guy. And at this age, he's a little bit more of a bully ball type of guy. So yeah, he's going to be good in those types of matchups. But the reality is, is against guys like Kevin Durant, who are super shifty and guards like Booker and, and Chris Paul, he's just not super laterally quick. And then anticipation is a big uh, part of it. One of the reasons why LeBron is such a good perimeter defender at every position is he's got great anticipation. He's good at just kind of guessing which direction a guy is going to go. And LeBron is very laterally quick. It was actually his big point of emphasis before the season that they won the title. And he said so in in, uh, uh, in an interview. And then there's a lot of footage out there of him working with his trainer on lateral quickness, a lot of big slide steps and jumps and things along those lines. That kind of thing takes... It, it, it's it's not just a, a natural ability. It is partially to some extent, but a lot of it is, you know, a dedication in that regard. And I think one of the reasons why they want Giannis off the ball is that's actually where his value is is at its best. Like PJ Tucker is a, is a significantly better perimeter defender as a laterally quick guy taking slide steps and guessing and, and, and being physical without fouling than Giannis is. I think that's why they go that route. Yeah, I agree. And I, just your point with P.J. Tucker, I think it kind of goes to your like where offense matters more than defense, because I feel like P.J. Tucker is almost unplay. He's a, probably he's a better defender than Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton, but he just can't shoot right now. He just can't make a corner three and it's making him almost unplayable. So it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting when you look at it. I feel like you have to be able to at least hit an open shot nowadays. We'll get into this more in like the summer, I guess the real summer. But uh, like I feel like defensive players now have to at least hit a corner three. And if you can do more than that, like a Mikael Bridges, you're going to get paid like a low tier star. Like in my opinion, he's about to get paid. So it's just interesting the way the NBA kind of moves. Cause I feel like guys like Andre Roberson who couldn't hit outside of the two feet got four years, 83, like four years ago. But now those players are becoming more and more extinct where he's not, he's I think back healthy, but he still can't really get a role on a team because he can't shoot at all. Mm-hmm. Even if his defense is at a top tier level. So I think it's interesting to kind of look at that. 
Well, Mikhail, <laughs> this is so out of left field, but Mikhail Bridges, like the, re- the it kind of reminds me of football when when you have a really talented roster and uh, and you draft a really good quarterback, and mm. for the for that three year four year window you have this inexpensive quarterback that's carrying a whole lot of weight relative to the roster. And so you can devote more money to the position players. And then you're really good in that, in that stretch, but then you pay the quarterback big money. And all of a sudden you have to, uh, to, to, you know, cut back on what you pay the, the skill positions and you end up suffering talent wise. Well, that's what kind of reminds me with the sun situation right now. they they got Mikhail Bridges on a rookie contract. That dude's a $20 million a year player. Like he's that good. And the reality mm-hmm. is, is like, when they sign Mikhail Bridges, it's either going to cap strap them everywhere else or they're going to end up having to let him go because he signed some gigantic offer sheet from some other team. It's just the harsh reality of the way that, you know, like when we're, when we're in the offseason, this is actually a good chance to, uh, to transfer, uh, uh, here in a minute, but like, the, the reality is, is in the offseason, it's it's easy to be like, you know, for guys like me to complain and be like, the Lakers need more skill. But right. the, really, the best way to have skill when you're cap strapped is to have a young prospect like a Talon Horton Tucker, who unfortunately is going to get paid this summer. But unfortunately for him, but unfortunately for the Lakers cap situation. But the reality is, is you need young players on rookie contracts making you know, jack shit, nothing relative to what their talent is in order to kind of fill the, fill those gaps, which is why there is some value to draft picks, you know, and, and things along those lines really quickly before we move on to the Lakers, just give me your pick for how the series is going to end, uh, you know, in a few sentences based on what you saw last night. Yeah. And really quickly, Aiden also is on a rookie deal. So like, just, exactly. think, about, just think about this going, but uh, I have, I have the sun. I picked the suns in six, even with Giannis healthy. So that's, I'm still going to stick to that. I think Milwaukee probably wins game two. Uh, but from there, I trust Monty to kind of pick and choose the lineups a little better than uh coach bud. And I, that's where I see this going. How about you? I think the Bucks win game three and that's all they win. I think Phoenix is significantly Ooh. better on both ends of the ball. I think they're a better defensive team and a better offensive team. I think that uh, uh, game five back in Phoenix, the closeout game, will be an opportunity for the Suns to remember the way they kind of tricked that game off against the Clippers. And I think they'll attack it. And also, it's a little bit different in those closeout games with the home crowd if uh, if the trophy's at stake, like the Lakers tricked off game five against the, uh, against the heat. Um, part of the reason in my opinion was because of the lack of a crowd. If that's a game five in Staples center to close yeah. out the heat, 20,000 people, Larry OB sitting in the tunnel. I think they win that game. You know, there's a difference in, in your effort there. So I expect I expect the Suns to play better. So we're going to try to get Raj out of here in the next 10 minutes. So we're going to do a little bit of a rapid fire type of deal here. Um, we're going to name the player. I'm going to have you tell me whether or not you think they're going to stay or they're going to go and why. Our first player is Alex Caruso. I think he's going to stay. Um, I, I just feel like the market isn't going to like, he's going to get probably like a $10 million deal. And I think the Lakers are going to keep him uh, for that. He, he's going to be their priority. Number one, in my opinion, um, in this, uh, in this off season, he's a guy that they've developed like themselves. Like he played in the G league for the Lakers and then he got called up and then slowly by sure he became a starter in the NBA finals game. Just a guy that you can't lose for nothing. In my opinion, even if he's just kept to trade, which I don't think he is um, Laker fans don't kill me, but like he's, I think he's kept, I think he's kept on the team. What about you? You think he's back? I think he's back as well. I think, uh, I think he wants to play with LeBron. Um, I think he understands. Uh, I think, I think he genuinely has no interest in playing for any other team. I think it would take a, a gigantic financial chasm between what he would get elsewhere, which for the record, based on how he played when everybody went down with injury this year, not that he was bad by any stretch of the imagination, but he doesn't look like a $15 million a year guard. So no. I think the, I think the Lakers will be able to offer him a slight discount over what he would get somewhere else. And I think he'll end up signing with the Lakers. And I think it's a good partnership. And and I think that when healthy, he's one of the most valuable role players in the league when he's surrounded by guys who can do the heavy lifting for him offensively. Um, Talon Horton Tucker. I also think he's back. I'm nervous on the number he kind of gets. Um, but I feel like it's going to be tough for a team to just throw $10, $15 million a year at him. But he's a clutch guy. He's a guy, another guy that they've put a lot of time into developing. We talked about it. I think he was like the 
second the third most important part of the season just like the way that the season went they got developmental minutes for him i think he'll be back um he's a restricted free agent so those are a little bit more tricky for other teams to throw money at because it kind of caps you for like three four days i think he'll be back i think they'll they'll come at to a number that that makes sense for me yeah i think he'll be back as well if nothing else out of pride because they clung to him as a trade yeah. asset during the trade oh deadline. yeah at true. that at that point, like if you let him walk uh, over a few million bucks be- after you after you refuse to deal him, I, th- I think that 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 starts to raise questions from the ownership, and that starts to range uh, raise questions from the fan base, uh, the questions that I don't think Rob wants to deal with. So I think he'll be back based purely on that. Also, I, I'm, you know, you and I had a difference of opinion with Talon Horton Tucker this year. Uh, just in his value within this season. But yeah. I think you and I are on the same page long term with him. Uh I really do see him as a as a as a player that uh has a very high ceiling. I believe in his work ethic. And once again, every single game he gave you this taste of this superstar type of talent. And yeah. in the closeout game against Phoenix, it was that, you know, uh fourth quarter tip slam that was just absurd you know for for like for a guy of uh you know in that environment and and so at the end of the day i think i think he's back regardless of the number at this point you're just praying that there's not some stupid gm out there you know i there was that rumor that came out a few weeks ago that of some eastern conference gm who said that they would offer talon horton tucker the max I think I think anytime these GMs start talking to reporters yeah. anonymously, I take it with a grain of salt. There's also God knows what kind of leverage campaign that is. It could be Rich Paul literally just you know BSing yeah. to try to, to to try to raise his value, give the impression of some sort of of competitive market for him. But I think I think they'll 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 let him go out. Th- My guess is he'll go out there and and sign some offer sheet, and then the Lakers will match it, match it, and hopefully no more than. 15 million a year, but we'll see. 15, um, my goodness. That's, that's high. That, that would be the high, that would be the high end where yeah. like, but here's, here's the thing, man, like between you and me, let's say it's a four year, $60 million deal. Chances are in that third and fourth year, he's, he's worth probably, that. he's probably going to be worth more than 15 million. Yeah. It's my guess. He's, he's, he's got elite two way off guard written all over him uh, yeah. as, as, as his, uh, uh, ceiling. Fair. Um, Next one is Dennis Schroeder. So Dennis is the one where I'm so confused on what his market is because I think we talked about it. I think he had a good year, um, but then, you know, those six games are hard to get out of your head, even though, like, I feel like game two, game three are forgotten in the abyss because the Lakers won those games and he played really well. It's just when you go 0 for 9 in a playoff game, it really sticks on you. I don't know where he's going. Like, I feel like the Lakers should bring him back because they can't replace his money like you don't you don't lose Dennis Schroeder and then you can spend on you know what you lose is for I think he'll be back but he's one of the ones where I'm really questionable uh, if some if like some bad team was like hey we got a starting point guard for the next few years that's above average maybe he gets that this one I'm not 100% sure what do you what do you think so at the end of the day some team out there is going to talk themselves into the fact that Dennis can help them and uh, it, and they're going to know to get in the bidding war, they're going to have to pay a, a yeah. amount of money. Dennis at his best this year was good. He was good defensively as a ball pressure point of attack guard. Um, he was good as a passer in a way that I didn't even think he could be coming into that season. He clearly learned from his role and time spent around LeBron. Um, and then, you know, he had big moments in the playoffs too. He had, Terrible moments in the playoffs, but in the two wins that they had, he was really good. Um, someone's going to talk themselves into it. I think that there will probably be a walk away from the table number for the Lakers. Yeah. If you're what you have to hope for as a Lakers fan is that that shell shock from what happened in 2016, where so many players got overpaid, will mm-hmm. just get people to be a little bit more frugal. And that he ends up coming back to the Lakers hoping, you know, for something in that, you know, four years, 80 type of range. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it's four years, 80 gets Dennis, you got to take him. As oh, Lakers yeah. Because it's 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 a talent exchange that you can't afford to lose. It's a tradable contract at that number. 
And even if talent, like one of our comments in the in the in the stream says, "What if we pay Dennis all this money only to realize Talonhorn Tucker is better midway through next season?" That's a good problem. You can always trade as you well. You trade so, Dennis. Yeah. You trade Dennis and you play THD. It's not. It, that's a good problem. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, you got you got to bring him on as a trade asset. The only thing that gets tricky is all the intel out there that the 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 bus family doesn't technically have all that much money, and that when you get into relative to other owners. Yeah, and that when you get into a situation where, when you get into a situation where you're paying luxury tax, which is something that the Lakers are going to be dealing with in future seasons, it's a lot easier for a Balmer to just cut the check than it is for for Genie Bus, and and that I would be interested to know what kind of conversations are taking place behind the scenes between Rob and uh, and Genie about what their budget is, because if they're willing to overpay, then you got to you got to overpay. Um, especially to I, I capitalize think, on this two-year window with LeBron. Yeah, and I think they will. I mean, when you have LeBron on your team, that's just, you know, that kind of changes your kind of spending, not just from what you're earning, but also your spending power. Like, it's just, that's what LeBron does to a team when he comes there. Cleveland. Get Nike the, he, to pay the luxury tax bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cleveland, he almost took Cleveland's business with him, you know, when he walked out the door. Like, that's how that's how much he kind of interacts. And also, also like, when you have this type of star power, you have to spend. And I think they will. They, they were in the luxury tax, I think, when they were putting out lineups, winning, like, 20 games a year and stuff like that. I'm sure, I'm sure they will. But, yeah, it's interesting to think about – he was asking, I think, I think the Lakers offered him four years, 84 or something in the middle of the season. and He didn't take it. I kind of think that's where they'll end up at some number around there. And I, I can live with that. I'll be good with that. Yeah, me too. Um, two more. All right. Next one is Andre Drummond. And I think you and I probably agree <laughs> on this one. Yeah, I think he's done his time in uh, Los Angeles. Like, I think, and I think the way he's talking as well, it kind of sounds that way as well. Just what he's been tweeting lately. I, he wouldn't come back on the minimum, is what he said. But I feel like that's his market anyway. Um, I think that experiment was tried, and I feel like you can find other minimum bigs to be out there. I, I said it before. I'm higher, I think, on what he could have brought to a healthy Laker team. Like, I don't think this team was ever healthy enough, but. I don't know. I think I'm done with the Drummond experience. I feel like every game was just a conversation on Andre Drummond. All the spaces we did, all anyone wanted to talk about was why is Andre Drummond playing? Why is he, why is he in the game? What, what is he doing? Why is he missing layups? I just think his, his time has kind of come to end. And I think, uh, I think that's good for both sides. What do you think? So I agree. I think he's gone. I think it comes down to the cap situation. Um, the reality is, is the Lakers can't offer anything other than the, the taxpayer mid-level exception or the veteran minimum contract. Uh, uh, he's not going to take a minimum contract, I don't think. I would say that there's a near 100% chance that somebody out there in the 30 teams will offer him their mid-level, mid-level exception. So the only way the Lakers could get him is by offering him the mid-level exception and no team offering more than that. Um, Because I do think he would chase the money. The question becomes, and this is something that Pete from Laker Film Room has kept talking about. Do you take Drummond at the mid-level exception in place of a like an inferior wing? Meaning, like, do you is it worth letting Drummond go to chase a guy who can allegedly shoot because they need shooting, but he's actually not that good of 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 a wing? You know what I mean? And and there's 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 cases to be made on both sides of that, but. My guess is that the Lakers will have the pick of the best mid-level exception type of guys and they'll end up actually signing a quality wing shooter. That's my guess. And so from that regard, I I think Drummond will end up taking the mid-level exception elsewhere. But if things shake out, the one scenario where he returns is all he gets is the MLE from the rest of the league and the Lakers can't find a good shooter so they take Drummond as just like a fallback plan. That's kind of the way I see it. But his attitude is so trash to me. And, you know, uh, this is something Maples has been on the the, the past few weeks. And, and uh, our friend uh, Damon has been on as well. Like the Lakers, you know, their whole brand is this like blue collar type of hardworking type of team. Where right. Frank Vogel just tells the truth to his players. Hey, you're playing tonight. Hey, you're not. Blah, 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 blah. The whole thing with Rob Palenka promising him a starting job was weird. It's it's something they had no business doing, and I don't want to. I hope they never go down that route again. And Drummond seems like the kind of guy who's more interested in that than he is in in kind of melding in with the locker room. So I don't necessarily think it's worth keeping him unless the the cards really break right. 
in that regard. Yeah, I agree with all that. And also it's like a use of your resor- uh, allocation of your resources, right? Like I thought this year was a special year because of the short off season. I was fine giving the mid-level to like Montres Harrell, who was a regular season player. It was kind of known he was a regular season player. He would fill innings. Um, next season is back to a normal season. I would like us to use that on a player that can play in the playoffs. You know, I feel like I think that's more important than uh, using that on, you know, like Andre Drummond, who even if he came back at some deal, he'd be, you know, he's like the third string center. You have Anthony Davis, who's going to play center in the playoffs. So what's the point of using that much of your, your really only thing you can leverage to a free agent is that offer that taxpayer MLE um, and use that on Andre Drummond would just be an awful use of resources, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, good luck to Andre Drummond. though. So our last name on the list is Kyle Kuzma. I think Kyle Kuzma will be thrown in every single trade conversation the Lakers are in. He's really their only, like, him and KCP, I guess, are their, like, making mid-money that they can offer since THC is a free agent, as Cruz is a free agent. That's the only guys that you can really offer. So I feel like he played so bad in the playoffs that, like, he's going to be back because it's going to be hard to move him. Um, him and the first-round pick is really their only offers. I uh, I think he'll be back, though. It's just my gut feeling. I think he'll be on the team next year. What do you think? I think it's possible that he's on the team next year. This one I'm more kind of 50-50 on. My guess, gun mm-hmm. to my head, if I had to pick, is that he'll be traded in the offseason. A couple, couple reasons why. First of all, he's got a perfect tradable contract. Yeah. Uh, he plays in a role where some GM out there is going to convince themselves that he can be better in a bigger role. Uh, there's going to be a team out there that could probably use a wing scorer type of bench, kind of like microwave type of dude. Um, it's important for both of us, because I know you and I are on the same page here, to say that Kuzma had a good season in terms of the he way did. he played in the regular season. However, he had a horrible series against Phoenix. Uh, and if he plays even remotely capable to or close to what he played in the regular season, that's probably a more competitive series than it was there at the end. Um, I think it's worth acknowledging that Kyle Kuzma has limitations in his game. He's similar to a... Uh, Middleton, uh, Paul George type of dude that he actively seeks to build his rhythm by taking jump shots. Um, He's got a little bit of a low offensive basketball IQ that causes him to take tough jump shots to build his rhythm instead of building his rhythm with easy jump shots, which is what makes him inconsistent and what makes him capable of going into long slumps. You know, more, more than likely, I think the Lakers will be active in the trade market this year to try mm-hmm. to bring in a high-level shot maker. And they can't do it through a sign-and-trade, which means they're going to need to use a mid-level contract. A sign-and-trade sign would hard-cap the Lakers, which would be a, a suicide mission this year uh, uh, because it limits what they can do around him. Um, so from that standpoint, I, I think that more than likely he gets thrown into a trade as a, like a, kind of like a salary filler type. I think he is an asset for the record. Yeah. I think I think that the I, I would probably bet that the vast majority of NBA GMs view him as a positive asset at the number that he's at. And he was on an extremely deep team that didn't have a ton of minutes or opportunity for him. Other teams out there are gonna have more. Um so I, I think I think that he'll get thrown into a trade and someone will value him. I, I'm in another pod, you and I will dive into what those trades might look like, but my gun to my head, my guess is that he gets traded. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like he could be. I feel like he might be a guy that's probably easier to trade at the trade deadline. I'm thinking just easier to kind of move when, when teams are kind of decided on where their season has gone. You know, in the beginning of the year, everybody thinks they have a chance to win. And then once the season goes on, you can kind of kind of like the Lou Williams deal. He reminds me of that. Lou was making like $8 million a year. Kuz, I think, is like 12.6 or something like that. He's like, I, yeah, I never would have thought Lou Williams would be like a primary ball handler in the conference finals after that trade. What a cra- He almost retired, remember? Yeah, and and again, it's like to your point where offense is 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 at such a high premium that like Lou Williams, even though well, I think this is part of the problem with Philly, and I guess we can get into that another time. But like also Philly not being able to take advantage of Lou Williams, but again, when offense is such a premium, he became so important, and he won them. He was part of the reason they beat Philly. Like he had huge games, so it's interesting to look at that. But yeah, I think Kuzma's mm-hmm. Kuzma can be talked into. Um, I think he's a good player. Uh, I think you know that I'm higher on him than most people. Um, but it's just an awful series, and that's hard to get out of people's heads. So we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I, I think he'll it was be a back. short. It was a short series too. Like in terms yeah. of like 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 I shouldn't even say short series. Short playoff run. He didn't have a lot of opportunity. 
Uh, really quickly before we get you out of here, because I know you need to go, we had a question from the, the comments. Would you prefer a more traditional wing player over Kuzma like P.J. Tucker or Robert Covington? Uh, that's, that's I'm hard tough. no on this. I'm interested to yeah. see what you think. I, I don't know. Like, What do you mean by traditional? Like just a, a guy who just shoots? A traditional the- veteran wing, like a P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, oh. guy who defends and knocks down open shots some of the time. Like a 35% open three-point shooter who's a pretty good to above average defensive player yeah i mean i i feel like that's what kuzma's supposed to be though right in exactly. this role so i think that's he is right role. now i think he's yes. at right now and you're not getting those guys for the money that i think kuzma's making either i mean maybe you can get pj tucker but uh he's like 35 i mean it's hard to really rely on him as well in that i'd rather just keep kuzma to be honest robert Covington went for two first round picks last last year i mean so it's and he makes i think like 16 17 million dollars a year so it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to get him uh get him on there so yeah i'd rather just keep kuzma honestly yeah me too the, the, one of the things that i think people don't realize is like it's real easy after a series like that to be like oh kuzma sucks kuzma sucks uh guess what man like i gear pj tucker and robert covington both have many playoff series on their record that were worse than what kyle kuzma did okay like the point yeah. is is like when you are a role player uh, and you have limited opportunity offensively, and you've played enough playoff series in your career, you're going to have stinkers. So I, I don't think that's a problem. I think I think the Lakers, when it comes to these trade targets, need to be more aggressive for a shot maker, uh, high-end yeah. offensive skill player type of deal. Like in the mold of a Spencer Dinwiddie, and we'll get more into that later, and I don't think Spencer is going to be available for the Lakers. But that's the type of player that the Lakers need to be looking at a CJ McCollum. Like if the Blazers end up blowing it up, so anybody that's in that tier, that's not really considered a star, but that's a high end shot making offensive player. Those are the kinds of guys that you need to be throwing a Kyle Kuzma type of dude at, because the reality is, is that the PJ Tucker, Robert Covington, you get 90% of that from Wesley Matthews. Right. And Wesley Matthews mm. is available at three million a year. So, you know, like at the end of the day, you you have to understand that that uh, the value for what Kuzma brings is it needs to be directed more. And and I agree with you. I think right now, if I had to choose strictly for defending and knocking down open shots, I think I'd probably take Kyle Kuzma over Covington, uh, or at least in the same tier as a Covington and PJ Tucker yeah. player. You know, he's not as good defensively as a P.J. Tucker, but he's close. And, and I would argue that Kuzma's a better help defender than both of those guys. Uh, or maybe not, not as good as Covington, but better than P.J. So I, I'm with you. I think I, I would keep Kuzma in that regard. But we got to get you out of here. I really appreciate you taking uh, uh, an hour out of your morning. Raj and I are, are back from vacation, so we'll try to get back into a good rhythm of doing two or three of these a week. Actually, I think we're going to do one after every game of this series. Yeah. So in that case... Friday, I Friday think. Morning. I think that. Yeah. Yeah. Friday morning. Let's do it. Cool. All right. Thank you, everyone. I'll have the uh, recording of this on our podcast feed shortly. Raj, have a good day at work, man. I'll see you later. Appreciate you guys. Thanks.